All right. How many of you are saints? Okay, there's some of you that weren't here, so that's okay that you don't know. We're studying through the uh, book of Philippians. And right off the bat, in the start of the book, Paul addresses the people in Philippi as saints. And they're just Christians. We, uh, we have a tendency to confuse the term saint because we think of the Roman Catholicism way of uh, looking at saints is somebody that has really earned a certain status in life. But it's really crucial for you and I to understand that we are saints, not because of what we do and earn, not because of what we gain by obedience or service. We are saints because we come under the blood of Jesus. And what a saint is, the actual meaning of the term, is that is someone set apart unto God. And that's a beautiful thing. And you are that. If you are a Christian, you've been set apart unto God, away from the world, and unto God, for God. Yeah, there we go. And we also learned in these uh, previous weeks that a saint cherishes the church. It's really crucial for us as saints, as Christ followers, to love the church, to cherish God's people. It's our family now. It's really important for a saint to comprehend that we all need to grow. It's not good enough for us just to accept him, and we're going to actually talk about that quite a bit more tonight. We need to grow and be continuing to grow in him throughout our lifetime. A saint makes loving others a priority. This is huge. It's repeated over and over and over in the New Testament, love one another. A saint adopts an eternal mindset. In other words, he's way more concerned about heavenly things, about getting ready for heaven, about uh, doing kingdom business than just his own personal pleasure and comfort. And then a saint conduct, conducts himself in a manner worthy of the gospel. A manner worthy of the gospel. And that means we really get our act together and live in a way that's unique and special. Once again, we're set apart for God. That should make us really stand out. A saint also urgently pursues unity in the body. A saint doesn't let little things get between them and other Christians. A saint pursues unity and learns to work things out, again, loving one another. And then uh, last week we talked, or two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that a saint strives to be like Jesus. Now, I want us to recognize this, this list... While very nice, very cool, is a struggle to accomplish. In the first part of chapter 2, Paul challenges us, all of us saints, to an extraordinary thing. He, he wants us, again, to be unified, selfless, and Christ-like. Let me read these uh, verses out of Philippians 2, 2-8 to again. And think in your mind, does this come natural for you or not? He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another 
as more important than yourselves. Wow. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what we're supposed to shoot for. Woo! I don't know about you, but that... That didn't just happen for me. It has not just happened for me. And I became a Christian when I was seven years old. That's a long time ago. This stuff is not natural. This stuff is truly supernatural. And so now Paul says, in uh, verses 12 and 13, So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me say that line again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to examine this, explore it. I'll try and explain it. Hopefully we all understand it a little better by the time we're done. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And Jesus, I, I want to stop right now and ask you, please, please, I've, I've used as much time as I could to prepare for this sermon. I think we got some good stuff here, but Lord, we need you. So I plead with you, Holy Spirit, to open our ears and our spiritual eyes and help us to comprehend what is your eternal truth and be able to apply it to our lives. Thank you. We need you, and we're glad you're here. We pray this in your awesome, all-powerful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so number one on your uh, outline tonight. A saint, I believe, has a holy obligation to work out his or her salvation. I'm going to explain it, so uh, just, just be patient here. Obligation means an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound, a duty or a commitment. But before I explain that, I want us to consider just what Jesus has done for us, okay? Because it really sets all this up. It tells us why we are obligated. All right, so let's review just a moment. Just what uh, our incredible Savior has done. He has truly given us what we could never acquire through any other means. We were hopelessly lost, dead in our sins, with no recourse to be forgiven and redeemed. It was impossible absolutely impossible for us to earn our salvation. The word says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. How much can a dead man accomplish? Absolutely nothing. We needed him right from the start. 
We needed him to awaken us to our need. We needed him to give us in our spirit a longing for that gift, a longing for the truth, a longing for the gospel. We needed him, and fortunately, he loved us, and he, he's done all this other the, these things that we need. Because of our sin, we were doomed to separation from our creator in the eternal torment of hell. That was our existence before Christ. All of us, no matter how good we were, how bad we were. But because of his great mercy, he sent his own son to be the perfect sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin that his justice demanded. All right, so let's read. And this is a a bit of a long passage, but it's incredible. If I'm ever discouraged, I sit down and I read this passage. It's Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Let's look at it. It tells us what we have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Isn't that cool? There's no spiritual blessing that you don't have available to you. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he, I love this, he chose us. He chose you. He chose me. Before the foundation of the world that we would would be holy and blameless before him. Whoa. Do you feel holy and blameless? (laughs) I seldom do, but by his miraculous power through the blood of Christ, we stand before the throne of God, and one day we will. Holy, blameless, because of the work of Christ. Hallelujah. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Whoa. Once again, this is incredible. I'm a knucklehead. I am, I am truly a knucklehead. But he loved me and valued me and has adopted me. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. This was his idea. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved or in Christ. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his glory. You ever wonder if you've sinned too much? I sure did. I used to wonder, boy, I think I might have gone too far. But his forgiveness for me and his forgiveness for you is according to his riches in glory. And that's awesome because his riches go on and on. The riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he proposed in Christ, in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. Also, we have obtained 
an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. You have God's stamp of approval on you, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Hallelujah. I wish we could go on to that topic alone tonight. It's, it's fabulous. The Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Whoa! I love that passage. I love that passage because what we have in Christ is astounding. It's astounding. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. Because that's awesome. That's as good as it gets right there. So, he's given us the freedom, the power, the instruction manual, the incentive, the tools, the family, the encouragement, the helper, all of his promises. And now we come to this passage and he says, now, I've given you all this. Now work this out. Work this out in your life. You are redeemed. You're one of my children. But it's not natural. You still are at war against the enemy and against the flesh. And now it is up to us to work out our salvation and actually bring it to fruition. The the beauty of what he's done for us to be able to actually walk that out in faith. That's what it's talking about when it says work out your salvation. Number two, we're not talking about earning our salvation. Okay, let's make that really clear. When it says work out your salvation, it's already your salvation. Okay, we are learning to live it out. We don't earn it. It's impossible to earn. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In the end, we will all get to heaven, and not a one of us will be able to say, Oh, God, look at me. I did, I did awesome, and you're so fortunate to have... There's none of that. None of that, because none of us have earned a bit of it. It was all an awesome gift because of his great love and grace amen Amen. so then my beloved and it's right there it's saying already you're you're saved you're the beloved just as you have always obeyed and the philippians were doing a pretty good job of walking in christ not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence so this is saying your, your salvation's already there, okay? So when we're talking about working it out, it's not earning it, it's learning to live it. 
Number three, most of us in this room, and I, I think that's a pretty good statement, most of us are already saved in that our future destination is secure in Christ because we have accepted that gift. And our name is in the Lamb's book of life, and his Holy Spirit, his stamp of approval has been placed upon us. And if we were to pass away today, we would be redeemed, and we would go and appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We are in. We have eternal life. The question is, what does it matter what we choose to do now? Does it matter? And this is a part of the problem of our culture today. And many churches are making a a very grave mistake of placing, even though there must be a great emphasis upon grace because it is by grace that we are saved. But I believe there's not enough emphasis on the fact that we still need to, before God, in fear and trembling, work out our salvation. Because it says it in the word and because for us to to receive all the things that I just talked about all the things that Paul wrote about in Ephesians 1 for us to receive that just as a gift from God and then to say ah I'm in and to live however we want with no regard for whether we disgrace the name of Christ oh brother Oh, sister, my heart fears for those who live that way. Great concern, great concern. At the very least, they will lose so much peace and joy in his presence in this lifetime and then eternally what they will be rewarded at the judgment seat what we will be rewarded if we don't take seriously this challenge to work out our salvation. Listen to Paul again, but in the book of Romans chapter 6, he has this incredible chapter and he says, uh, he's just said, well, we get, we get saved because grace and it's our incredible sinfulness that brings about this grace. So, well, we might as well sin. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. May it never be. No way, he says. No way. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's a disgrace. Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That was the beauty of a couple weeks ago, the baptism service that we had out at uh, Lake Charles. Wasn't that fantastic? What a delight. I got to see a couple of my friends uh, be baptized, and actually quite a few of you. What a glorious thing. And that is the picture right there, isn't it? Baptism. What's happening? 
You're being lowered completely below the water. And what is that a symbol of? You're being buried. You're, you're being completely put under. You have died in Christ and you are raised. He doesn't leave you down there, fortunately. It was good. Mike, big guy, taking care of most of that. And he, he, got, he got them all back up. Raised again in Christ. What a beautiful picture of what is supposed to happen to us. We are supposed to be new. Therefore we have been buried with him, verse 4, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the, from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. No longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now wait a minute. I know that if I asked, there would be a number of you say, "Do do you still struggle with sin? Yeah. I'm a pastor and I struggle with sin. Here's the deal. This is what we're talking about right now. This is working out our salvation. We are learning to walk in this newness of life. It doesn't come automatically. So we're learning to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Learn, it's kind of, we're like a baby, newborn in Christ. We've got all these, uh, our, our limbs and stuff aren't used to walking in righteousness. Our, our soul, our mind has all these patterns from the old life of responding to life. The addictive lifestyle stuff that, that is there. And I wish that God would have touched us completely at that point, And we, he did redeem us completely. We are in the book of life. But we now are learning how to walk in that life. Does that make sense? For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider, no matter what you're struggling with, learn to consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And develop those new habits of obedience, of taking every thought captive, of refusing to go back to those old ways. Verse 12, here it is. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. The emphasis there is placed on us. Don't let it happen. Don't let it. And if you've tried and failed, Try again. Get back up and go again. Don't give up. Never give up. And we'll see later on. He gives us everything we need. But we must have faith. And we must continue to press in. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, that's what we do when we take the, uh, the leadership class here, the men's leadership, women's leadership too. We are learning whole new habits of making the word an absolute priority in our life. We're memorizing it. We're studying it. We're, we're, we're giving ourselves over. Presenting ourselves to God as alive from the dead, members uh, as instruments of righteousness to God. That's what we're doing. We are working out our salvation. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Hallelujah. And again, if you're not there yet, don't give up. Don't give up. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I just need to learn to walk like it. I need to learn how to bring this incredible privilege to fruition with the help of my Creator, my Savior. Number four, the Greek verb rendered work out means to continually work, to bring something to fulfillment or completion. And once again, our salvation was complete on the cross when Jesus hung on, what did he say? It is finished. He Paid for our sins in full on the cross. That is done. There is no more work that needs to be done in order to win our salvation, to earn our salvation. The work that we now do is learning how to live in this new life. And it's a continual work. A continual work. I'm, I'm always inspired to be with Pastor D. Because that guy is passionate as anybody I have ever known to be more like Jesus today than he was yesterday. It inspires me to do the same. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I discipline my body and make it my slave, to be obedient to Christ, to work out my salvation. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Number five, the good news is that he has provided everything. Everything necessary to work out our salvation. He hasn't just saved us and said, okay, now go for it. Good luck. That is not how he works. He has provided everything that we need in order for this to happen. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him. How does it come? Through true knowledge of Jesus. The more we know Jesus, the more the, the stuff that we need is available to us to live this out, to work this out. It's about being with him, abiding with him, seeking him, knowing him, knowing his word. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What? You may by his grace become partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't mean we're going to be gods. Okay, well, that's not what we're talking. But we will have that divine nature of being able to follow through in godliness. Walking in holiness before him. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Number six, I am responsible to actively pursue the obedience that will result in my sanctification. Sanctification, what does that mean? That is the transformation from the old man into the new man. It's this being set apart that we talk about holiness. It's some of the same... um, Greek terms that are used in this. We are transformed in his presence, through his word, by his spirit. Second Peter 1, 3 to 9 says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be become partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Okay, so see, it's, it's all there, but we have to apply diligence. We have to work. We have to choose to help to apply these things in our lives. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And this stuff builds upon one after the other as we walk with him. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, 
having forgot, forgotten his purification from his former sins. <laughs> I went to college when I got out of high school, and uh, I was a music major. And they sat me down, the counselor, when I first signed up, and they told me all the stuff that I had to do in order to graduate. And one of the things that I was supposed to do is become proficient at playing either the guitar or the piano to be able to accompany myself or someone else that was doing special music. They said this that first day, and I had taken a couple piano lessons as a kid, but I had not learned to play guitar yet. I had no idea. In fact, I was afraid that I couldn't do it. So they told me this that first day, and I said, okay, okay. But like I am so prone to do in my life, I only hear the things that I really want to hear and do. And I kind of forgot about that, okay? So they told me all the classes I needed to take. And that I remembered because it was on a paper right there before me, okay? The piano proficiency exam wasn't on the paper. And so I went through school, first year, second year, third year. And I'm just chugging away. I'm, I'm passing. Uh, I'm not an excellent student by any means. And I'm also chasing girls and playing ball and having a great time. Um, however, I got to the end of my junior year, and I sat down with the counselor to prepare for my senior year of college. And the uh, counselor said, so what are you doing for your proficiency? And I, I said, what? Your proficiency exam, are you going to play piano or, or guitar? What? I, I had forgotten. And I had not practiced. I had a year to somehow learn to play piano or guitar enough to be able to accompany somebody doing special music. I worked at it to some degree and took the test and failed. Again, right before graduation, I took it one more time and again failed. I did not get to graduate with my class from college. I had every class finished uh, passed, but I failed in this one thing. I hadn't paid enough attention and I failed. I had to hang around another year learning to play the piano. And even then, I think they gave me a mercy pass uh, to graduate from college. Listen, we've got everything we need He's told us, work out your salvation. Don't be a knucklehead like I was in college and come to the finish line and, uh, man, you, you really, you didn't do this? You didn't work on this? You didn't get this together? Number seven says, how we work out our salvation will impact our reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And it will. How much effort we put into working our salvation out. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now remember, this is not the judgment seat where we are judged as to whether we are saved or not. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're saved. You're a Christian. You're in heaven. But now... There is a great 
reckoning where we stand before him and he says either, man, great job, uh, or wow, uh, you didn't do so much, but I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Um, And it says right here, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's really clear. We're going to be rewarded for what we invest in this lifetime. We will reap what we sow. How hard are you working on working out your salvation? Philippians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He didn't save us just to hang out now until heaven. He's got purpose. And he wants to work alongside you. You work alongside him on kingdom business to see his glory. Number eight. We are to work out our salvation, now this is important, with fear and trembling. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we know from Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you don't fear God, you aren't even beginning to be wise. You haven't started to understand how to deal with life In the way that he demands. We must approach God as God. We cannot look at him as just another guy. That's that's ridiculous. He is our creator. He is the awesome, holy, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign of the universe. And it is only by his grace that we stand before him. It's incredible how much he loves us. It truly is. But there still needs to be that healthy respect and awe that he is God. And we don't even dream of not obeying him. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. And I want you to think right now of the universe that we have barely begun to know. If you ever studied Hubble telescope stuff, it's stunning. We barely know the works of God yet. My hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one... This person I will look. Listen to this. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That's who God will look unto and show favor to. And then 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is the work before us, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can you hang in with me just a couple more minutes? I know we're at time here. I'll get it done here real quick, okay? Now, great news. We have the promise of his assistance 
in this entire endeavor. Yes, we need to put effort into this, but hallelujah, he promises to work with us and give us everything we need as we already talked about. Look at verse 13 of Philippians 2. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He wants this in you more than you want it for yourself. So if you will seek him, he will assist you and he will assist you gladly. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is not a thing where we say, God, you're going to be really impressed. I'm going to, I'm going to do so great at this. I'm going to be really awesome and show you you made a good choice with saving me. That's not what this is about. He wants to actually work with you. He wants to fellowship with you in life through this whole process of becoming like him. Isn't that awesome? He wants to work side by side with us. Then 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, my favorite verse, Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Until the day of Christ. Don't you love that promise? There have been times when I've thought, I can't do this. I've failed over and over again. But, he, but I've come to this word and he has reminded me, Steve, I'm going to make it happen. Get back. Humble yourself. Get back with me. Let's go. Let's get this done. And then finally, number 10, God is actually delighted to assist us in this. It is his joy to work alongside us. And, and that's incredible. It's beautiful. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It delights him when you choose to work out your salvation along with him. Hallelujah. In Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. We are under obligation to take hold of what has been divinely provided and bring to fruition what we have been liberated and empowered to do. Let me read that one more time. We are under obligation to take hold of what has been divinely provided and bring to fruition, along with his help, what we have been liberated and empowered to do. Lord Jesus, we bow before you again tonight and say thank you, thank you, thank you. We owe everything to you. Oh Jesus, have mercy on us. May we never be so foolish as to forget what a high price you paid. And may we never be so foolish as to take for granted all that is ours in you. Help us now as we long to please you and honor you. 
by working out this incredible salvation with fear and trembling. We love you and will praise you for eternity. It is in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.